Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. Our life as a church, you could probably cut our life up as a church in many different chapters. But here's just one way of looking at the life of our church. We're five and a half years old now. And there's maybe four chapters that we've walked through. The first chapter would be like the launch phase, getting ready. From the first moment we had one prophetic word to the gathering of a team who became about 41 adults, um, we had our launch phase, chapter one. And then chapter two was our double tree phase in uh, Victoria. Anyone there from the Victoria days? Yeah, well done. And then chapter three was probably COVID glorious eh uh, we arrived here and then within, within a few weeks covid came and then i think chapter four has really been coming out of covid and i think you know i think when covid started we all expected to come back with tambourines and cancans thinking this is the best thing ever we're back at church and actually re-entry to church was really difficult do you remember and it took a long time for anything to feel normal and i think it's been a whole phase that we've been in a chapter of really emerging out of the covid kind of wilderness experience that we've had and i think there is a sense that we are feeling that people are expressing in faith and in prayer and in testimony that we are moving into a new chapter that it's no longer covid and is no longer coming out of covid but there is a new chapter of breakthrough for us as a church and for us individually i think you can sense the faith that is rising in the room for new things amen breakthrough for finance i mean i just my heart was filled to seeing people coming forward just willing to give to the lord and say we're all in for you lord we're not gonna we're just giving we're just gonna go give we're gonna give to you lord because we're believing for a new breakthrough for the church for for salvation for evangelism for sin for holiness for just habits that maybe sit in a morally gray zone but don't actually help us walk with god and we're walking into this this new era and, and what i want to do today is is kind of follow up and just follow this stream that we are in right now and just look at what it is to live on the precipice of a breakthrough because i think that there can be misunderstanding when we talk about breakthrough because i think sometimes what can happen is we talk about breakthrough on a sunday and it feels exciting right i mean it's a good thing like breakthrough new chapters if you like new things it's a, there's new stuff coming and so we live with these high moments of like gosh like the church is talking about breakthrough us it's all found very exciting but then what happens is the monday morning alarm goes off right and then reality slams you in the face and you have to wake up and it doesn't often feel like you're living in faith and victory right it can often feel like you're walking in exhaustion and overwhelm and deadline pressure and difficulties at work. And so this dichotomy can begin to, so there is church, they're talking about breakthrough, but what happens when it doesn't feel like you're living in breakthrough? Am I preaching? What, what do you do with this? And what can happen if we misread our life circumstance and if we misinterpret our circumstances, what can happen is that we can assume that our life is not experiencing breakthrough and we can misread what the Holy Spirit is doing in our life 
which can then mean that we walk away from the work of the Spirit in our life and short-circuit some deep things that God was wanting to do in us and through us. We could, as it were, kind of get ourselves out of the river of God, out of the Spirit of God, dry ourselves down and say, well, it wasn't actually working for me, so I'm going to go off and find a worldly way of getting the same things. And so what I want to do is recalibrate our understanding and follow Jesus in this moment as to what breakthrough actually means, like the dynamics of breakthrough, what they are. Because I think if we understand it rightly, we will understand our lives correctly in the purposes of God and we might just see some wonderful things happen. Is that all right? All right. Anyone? <laughs> Amen. All right. So I want to do three things. I want to just look at the, the dynamics of, of Jesus, the way of Jesus, and we're just going to follow his path here because we're followers of Jesus. We're going to look at the victory of Jesus, and then we're just going to see how we trust Jesus in his victory. So three things. The first thing is this, the way of Jesus. What do we notice in this passage that we've just read? There are three distinct things that happen in this passage. So just imagine Jesus with me for a moment, growing up as a young boy, growing up in Nazareth, kind of a nowheresville, as a young boy, being trained as an apprentice to be a carpenter with his father. The likelihood is at some point in his early life, his father died. We don't know what happened there. But he grows up and he takes on this small family business as a carpenter. And for 30 years, he works in this local trade, creating tables, making chairs, going about his father's business in the workplace. And he grows up with this awareness from the scriptures and in prayer and in his spirit of his special and unique calling as the son of God to be the righteousness for all those who are unrighteous. And when he gets to the age of 29 or so, what we seem to find out is Jesus had this growing awareness that the season of his life, the chapter of his life was about to change. At the age of 30, if you were a Levite, it was the moment where you would be, you would be consecrated as a priest. Jesus was not in any formal line, but he was aware of his role as a priest. And so at the age of 30, what happens is him, aware of a new chapter coming, he goes out to John, his cousin, and he talks to him and asks him, John, his cousin, to baptise Jesus. And John rightly says to Jesus, like, you, this is not the right way around, Jesus. You're the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. You're the one who's going to remove the sin, so you should be baptising us. It would be wrong for the one who's going to remove sin to get in the sinful waters with us in these baptismal waters because you don't have sin. And Jesus says, no, I've come to fulfill all righteousness. And so Jesus numbers himself with us, the transgressors. And he numbers himself with us and he is baptised with us in this moment. And in this moment, the heavens are rendered and the Father blesses the Son. And we read these words, from heaven a voice came saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. The first thing we have is the blessing of God over Jesus. There is this high point. If you've ever been baptised, it is a high point in your kind of Christian walk. There's friends, there's family, you're affirmed, you sense God close, you're walking in obedience. And this is Jesus right now, this high point of being with his Father. And then the very next scene from this high point of blessing is we find Jesus out in the wilderness. I don't know if you've experienced a moment like a conference or like 
church or a prophetic word, some glorious moment with God, and you imagine yourself from that point onwards on a very different plane in life, right? <laughs> Been to a conference thing, I'm going to smash this year. I'm Spiritually, this is going to be the best year. And you can't wait to get back to work. You're going to tell everyone about Jesus. You've got no fear anymore. So it's, you're just going to be a brand new person. And then you get back into the humdrum of life and you get sick. And then you get another deadline. And then what happens is sometimes the valley can feel worse than before because now you had such high expectations and you feel like even work do you know you think what just this is Jesus's experience from this high point he goes to this wilderness experience and temptation and from this moment what happens is he then through this wilderness of 40 40 days of fasting loneliness isolation temptation fragility he then moves into a new chapter of breakthrough so the end of Matthew chapter 4 this is what we read after the wilderness experience he went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people so his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him the sick those afflicted with various diseases and pains those oppressed by demons those having seizures and paralytics and he healed them this is a new chapter of breakthrough and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan so what do we see when we follow the way of Jesus we see blessing wilderness and breakthrough this is the way blessing and wilderness and then breakthrough and in this room there are stories of blessing and then whole seasons of wilderness and temptation and isolation and loneliness and fragility some of us are still in that place but the way of Jesus is there will be a breakthrough and a new chapter amen it's easy to look at this this passage and I've heard sermons like this when you see Jesus in the in the desert they're, they're basically I was thinking like that do you know David Goggins anyone know David Goggins <laughs> yeah if you don't know David Goggins, he's like the most kind of, I mean, either amazing or ridiculous human being you've ever come across. But like he'll run 100 kilometers before breakfast and then do a thousand pull ups just because he wants to prove that he's just that kind of guy. And he does like just the most incredible feats. And he's, you know, it's basically like life is suffering. It's a test. Do it. You know, don't give up. Don't stop when you're tired. You stop when you're done. It's that kind of like, you know, the mantra like there's, there's like a hundred other varieties of that on the Internet. You know, like this kind of those mantras of like, and he's like the leading guru on just being tough. And like you can read this wilderness and temptation experience a bit like that. WWJD used to be a thing. What would Jesus do? Oh, you're in a wilderness. What would Jesus do? Well, he seemed to memorize his Bible. So you should get memorizing Bible verses. He seemed to know like which Bible verse matched which temptation. So you've got to get your Bible verse matching the temptation. He seems to be fighting in faith. So you've got to fight in faith. It's a David Goggins approach to Christianity. Life is tough. Get into your Bible. Know your Bible. Fight the devil. Quote scripture at him. Is any of that bad? No. 
But is that, the, is that why this passage is in the Bible? Is, this pas- is, is Matthew writing this to say, look, he's basically the ultimate David Goggins of Christianity. If he can do it, so should you. Get on and memorise your Bible and fight the devil. The reason why this is in the Bible is not for us to trust ourselves that we can do it, but it's for us to see the victory as Jesus. Amen. It's for us to see how Jesus is the supreme victor. It's to see how Jesus succeeds. It's to see how Jesus fights the devil. It's to see how Jesus has absorbed the word of God so him and the Father are one. It's to see how Jesus walks through the wilderness and temptation and is victorious. It's not for us to model ourselves after him first. It's for us to take his victory and to trust him. Martin Luther, the German monk in the 1500s, said this. The chief article and foundation of the gospel is that before you take Christ as an example, and it's not bad to take him as an example, but before you do that, The first point of the gospel is that you accept and recognise him as a gift, as a present that God has given you and that is now your own. This means that when you see or hear of Christ doing or suffering something like in this passage, you do not doubt that Christ himself with his deeds and sufferings belongs to you. On this you may depend as surely as if you had done it yourself. Hallelujah. Indeed, as if you were Christ himself. See, this is what it means to have a proper grasp of the gospel. This is what trusting in Jesus is. And this is why this passage, so that we might see Jesus Christ. And as we trust in him, know that his victory is ours. That's what the gospel is. When Christ comes, which is why John was so unsure of why Jesus was coming to him to be baptised, because it, it was, in logical terms, the wrong way around. Jesus should be the one baptising sinners into righteousness. And yet here is Jesus, a righteous one, being baptised into unrighteousness, it seems, because he had never had any sin. But what Jesus knew is that as he took on our unrighteousness, he was becoming a substitute for us. Jesus came so that he could exchange lives. He wanted to take your life off of you and he wanted to offer his life to you. That's all Christianity is. Swapping your life and your unrighteousness for Christ's life and his righteousness. And so when Christ comes into these baptismal waters, he is taking on our sin so that he might walk in all righteousness towards a cross, towards suffering, into wilderness. So that one day a new chapter might break forth in his resurrection and he might pour out his life onto us who are unrighteous. The righteous for the unrighteous. Hallelujah. This is why he came. And so our first point of call is to see Jesus, who is the victorious one. And what we see is Jesus, every step of the way, sure-footed, avoiding Satan, not falling into into temptation, not sinning where we sinned, not falling where we've fallen, obeying where we disobeyed, succeeding where we failed. And Jesus Christ succeeds on our behalf. And as he then gets crucified in full obedience to the Father, he then offers himself up in his resurrection to us and says, this victory, this goal, this righteousness, I now offer it to you if you want it. And we say, thank you, Lord. This is the way of Christianity. 
to trust in a victor. Because as soon as we turn in on ourselves and we think, well, I think I can make it through this temptation, I can make it through this wilderness, we all fail. We know that, right? Through experience and Bible verses, we will fail if we trust in ourselves. This passage is here to lift our gaze to Jesus, to trust in him. And I want to suggest that if we're going to see the breakthroughs that the Lord desires, that it is not going to be because Trinity Church, hey, we suddenly realise, actually, we're not a bad bunch. We're, you know, actually, we're quite special, actually. Look at us. We're so diverse and, you know, so some of these gifts and skills and experience. Like, guys, we could actually do this. We could see breakthrough in the kingdom of God. That will be our downfall. The way we're going to see breakthrough is turning our eyes away from us and looking up to Jesus, the victor, and trusting in him. And I want to say in at least three areas that we see Jesus walking through here. The first is trusting Jesus in our wildernesses. Because it's interesting how you have this moment where Jesus is blessed in the Holy Spirit. We saw the Spirit of God descended like a dove and coming to rest on him. I think it's Luke who says Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has this amazing like conference-like moment. You know, the moment you like, just everything is clicked into place. You and Jesus are tight. Everything's good. You feel the joy of the Lord. This is Jesus. And yet what we read here in Matthew 4, 1 is something shocking. The same spirit that came on Jesus to bless him and to fill him, we read this. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit. And I'd be thinking... Oh, cool. Where's he take? Where's the spirit? The spirit that blesses us is going to take us blessing to blessing, right? One degree of glory to another degree of glory. It must be the next conference. It must be the next ministry trip. The next financial breakthrough, which we always think is promotion or something like that. And what do we find? Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness. <laughs> like what? You know, if the Holy Spirit literally took me by the hand and led me somewhere, I'd be thinking, this is going to be good. Like, uh, you know, like, our Holy Spirit's come to take me by the hand. Like, I can't, where are we going, Holy Spirit? Where are we going to go? And he's like, here's a desert wilderness for you. Would you hang out here? It's like, no, I thought we were going to, like, the Ritz or something. I was like, I was expecting, you know, like, a life of luxury and blessing and goodness and health and all this stuff and yet the Holy Spirit takes Jesus by the hand and says here's your next step this is your next chapter isolation wilderness and temptation by the devil that's not chance <laughs> this is not Jesus he, oh, he took the wrong turn you know back at Jerusalem if he'd only gone left it would have been fine he would have been with the father but he took the wrong turn he went right and no, this is the Holy Spirit who led him there. If you're in a wilderness experience right now, and if things aren't panning out like you expected, I don't think you've taken a wrong turn in life. Sometimes it can feel like that. Sometimes the devil will whisper into your mind, if only you'd done that back in 2006, your, your life would have been better. If only you'd made that choice. If only you'd made, if only, that's Satan whispering in your, if only, whispering, placing conditions on your life with God. And yet here we have Jesus who has no sin. 
We believe that he's holy, he's pure, he walks in all righteousness, and he walked into a desert wilderness experience of temptation. This was the path of righteousness for him. So if you ever hear even advice from another Christian, well, maybe if you had done that, I want to suggest that it is a satanic lie. Jesus was in the wilderness. Here's one example, and when I'm in a room like this, I honestly feel like it's trite and shallow, but I, I, I did a sports science degree and quite quickly realised, me and Levi, by the way, we lived together for two years, so that's uh, partly why Levi's here, so it's good to have you here, Levi and Mayu. Um, so if you want to know what I'm really like, <laughs> or was like, past tense, <laughs> my old self, um, uh, and then um, I sensed this call into ministry and I think deep down I knew something had been welling up and I, I kind of and it was this kind of ecstatic moment honestly I thought because people had been advising me like well if you want to be a minister then you've got to get like real world experience so I thought okay so I, I tried to get real world experience and they didn't even allow me onto the training course to become a teacher. That's how badly I did. Um, they didn't even, not, you're not, have, you're not gonna give you a job. We're not even gonna train you. They sent a letter saying, no, we're not. So I'm like, oh. Anyway, in that moment, public confession, dealing with my own issues. And then in that, I felt the Lord bless me with this calling, like one of the only supernatural moments of like, okay, this is, you're gonna walk into church leadership and preaching now. It's this high moment. And then this church in Kingston, Kingston Baptist Church, amazingly to me, invited me to be their minister. I was 25 years old and I had not a scooby-doo about like mostly life looking back now, let alone the responsibility of pastoring a church. And with all these high expectations and blessing and I had this ordination service where old ministers would come and lay hands on me and family and friends were there and you know this high moment that led honestly into three years of the most difficult time in Tour and I's life horrible just loneliness and isolation and, and lies about us and people gossiping about us and manipulating all sorts of weird things behind our back to and in that moment you think God you know you blessed me to be a church leader was not expecting it to be like this this is not what I thought it was going to be like and it honestly felt dry and sapping and every the first time we went to Hope Church is where we met some of you guys Charles and Nikki Toria particularly I, I mean I had a bit of dust in my eye I think but we we just wept through the whole service because it felt like we'd came to this oasis of a new chapter and I know now that I didn't know then that all of that was doing deep things in my own life. I wasn't very productive, I don't think. Sure, I preached a few sermons, I learned a few things along the way. But I look back now and I think God was doing some deep things in me. He was preparing me. I thought, 25, I'm ready for the world. And I think God was like, there's a wilderness period you need to go through because I need to do some deep work in you some deep change, some deep repentance and work of holiness in your life. A work of trusting in me and not in you. And I think we, we go through many, many, many moments and cycles of, of wildernesses 
in our lives. And I think it's the way that the Lord prunes us and grows us and prepares us for the next chapter in our life. Which is part of the reason why I think we can lay up some faith because we have been through this corporate wilderness experience with COVID. And I, like, it, it, it broke many of us, I think, internally. It sobered many of us. It meant we put a stop to a lot of things and we actually looked at our lives and inside our heart. And I think many of us were like sobered, maybe even saddened to see the state of our heart and the state of our life, the state of our faith. It was this kind of wilderness experience that the Lord, I think, has taken us through. Which is why, in part, I think we can have faith that a new chapter of breakthrough is coming. And in the wilderness, I just want to encourage you, if you're there right now, don't let go of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has gone before you. Don't short-circuit what he's doing. Don't eject into the easier option. Don't walk in the flesh. Don't turn to the world. Stay with the Lord. Because through this wilderness experience, there is a new chapter of breakthrough. Amen. Amen. We trust him in the wilderness. We trust him in temptation. I mean, it's amazing to see how when the Father speaks, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. What's the next voice that Jesus hears? It's the devil's. It's funny how often when the father speaks so quickly, Satan seems to run up close and speak quickly in your ear. Whisper, doubt, insecurity, twisting of the scriptures. Did God really say if, if you are? What a horrible thing to say to someone. If you are this, then Satan whispering into the Lord's ear in this moment. And the tempter will come, we're told he's like a roaring lion, prowling around, waiting for someone to devour. He doesn't take naps. He's waiting for you to receive a prophetic word for your next stage in life. He's waiting for a great blessing in your life. So he then sidles up quietly and closely. And if we're not aware, he will whisper lies into your ear. I remember the first time I um, spoke in tongues. The very first thing, like within seconds of speaking in tongues, is I heard this voice. That's just the flesh. I didn't know what it was then. I know now. That was Satan immediately trying to. He's just, blessing of God, the voice of the devil. In those years that I was a, a, a minister in Kingston, the number of things that people said to me that I, I was un, unaware of. That, and now I look back and think, those were words of the enemy. We know that Peter, right? Jesus says to Peter, one of his best friends, the leader in Jerusalem. This is an example to be followed. Even Peter, as he was advising Jesus that the cross is not the way to go, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So even our advice sometimes, if it derails people from the way of suffering and the way of the Lord and the way of the cross, can be part of how Satan inspires us to put doubt and sow seeds into our, our minds. One lady in my old church, she told me, she said, I don't think you should be a minister. This is as I was leaving. I don't think you should be a minister to adults, but I think you can look after students. 
Now, students, hear me right. I, I love you. <laughs> I was a student. We love students here. Um, but that cut me for years. This idea that I, I couldn't relate with adults, but only with young people. And they, uh, you know, you've got your own lies, right? Things that people have said. Just, what do we do with that? We look to Jesus and we trust in him when the tempter comes. We look to the victor. Say, there's my victory in Jesus Christ. He is my gift. He's walked through this temptation and I trust in him. And we trust Jesus for breakthrough. It's first wilderness and then breakthrough. And when you read the scriptures, there is no other way. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 16. When people began to clock who he actually was, he says this, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised again. Hallelujah. Yeah. He must go through suffering if he's going to be raised. The cross comes before the resurrection. The wilderness comes before the breakthrough. There is suffering before glory. There is no other way. Which means if we are going through seasons of difficulty, which we all do, then we can hold on to this promise that when our life feels more like a cross where things are being taken from us, there is a moment coming of resurrection where there will be a new chapter of breakthrough. Amen? Amen. This is the promise of 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter says this, Resist him, that is the devil, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood and sisterhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory himself, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. Hallelujah. He himself, the one who has gone before us, is going to turn back, look you in the eye and restore you from your wilderness. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. If we equate breakthrough with just good things happening in the world, we will constantly be confused by what's happening. Breakthrough does not mean an easier life. The next chapter does not always mean this is gonna get easier. It feels like very often the Lord takes you through moments of wilderness and then breakthrough because he's preparing you for the next thing. And he says, I see my son, my daughter, and how they walk faithfully with my son, Jesus. I know I can trust them. And so they just, he takes you through another moment of wilderness for another chapter of, of breakthrough. So my Iranian brothers, let me encourage you to stay faithful to Jesus. Amen. He's called you. There will be breakthrough. Life 
will not end in wilderness. For those who are experiencing family trauma, it will not always be wilderness. For the lonely amongst us, it will not always be wilderness. It will not always, it's a cash back guarantee. I don't know when the wilderness will end, but it will end. And you will look back and think of that wilderness as one short moment for all the glory you will experience. Amen.